Hey guys, this is the Real Life Monopoly Podcast. This is your co-host, Jeffrey Donis, alongside my partners and brothers, Kenneth and Kerwin Donis. We are real estate investors, and the point of our podcast is to help you reach your financial goals, which will allow you to have time to focus on your true passion so that you can live not only a happier, but more fulfilled life. Enjoy the show. Thank you for tuning in with the Donis Brothers. This is Jeffrey Donis, alongside my two brothers, Kenneth and Kerwin. Our mission is to pretty much help people achieve financial freedom through real estate investing. Uh, we bring real estate professionals onto the show, and we're going to ask them some questions and kind of give us a background about their story and how they kind of got started. And today on the show, we have Joseph Druther out of North Carolina. How you doing, Joseph? Oh, I'm better than I deserve, man. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Good. How has your week been so far? It's been a long one. <laughs> it's been, yeah. It's been a good week, but it's been a long week, so we've had a lot of a lot of stuff going on this week in the business. So. Um, awesome. I, yeah, I know you have multiple businesses that you're kind of running right now. Uh, do you mind kind of telling the audience uh, what your what business you do have going on at the moment? Yeah. So um, I I'm in Pinehurst, Southern Pines, North Carolina. Um, sorry if you hear my dog yapping in the other room. There's nothing I can really do about it right now. But anyways, um, we primarily fix and flip is our primary business. We also do new constructions, and um, that's that's our main business. Outside of that, we do uh, small multifamilies. We've got some large syndications that we've done uh, and we raise capital for. And then we've also got some Airbnbs. Um, but like I said, primarily it's the flipping and building business. So. How did you kind of get started in real estate? I know we've been to a couple of your meetups. You mentioned that you were an electrician, but you kind of just, do you mind just going into the story of how you, you got into real estate and why you chose uh, this as the industry you wanted to do? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I, I started in the construction industry, uh, working as a plumber in high school. So I was like 14. I got my first side job at nights on the weekends doing that. And then um, by the time I was 19, my girlfriend and I at the time decided to get married. So I, we got married at 19. I uh, was dating for a while at that point. Um, we were trying to find a place to live. Rent was super expensive. And we were we found a house. It was a super cheap house, right? $12,000 brick ranch. It was burnt to a crisp. Had a flock of turkeys living in there. It was terrible right so but it was what we could afford because it was twelve thousand. we figured we could take this one down so anyway so we did that and uh we wound up buying it doing a lot of the renovation you know a, a lot of renovation in the in the beginning with like um electric you know electrical plumbing stuff like that and uh we didn't have we didn't have wi-fi didn't pay for tv or anything like that so we basically just read a lot of books and one of the books that we read while we were there you know stripping wire or taking apart plumbing fittings for scrap metal was uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? So once we read Rich Dad, that's kind of like the the catalyst for a lot of people getting into real estate, right? So um, that kind of triggered us on this path of, hey, we should, you know, we could do this. We built equity on our house already. You know, we're doing, you know, we've been on a budget. We're trying to pay off the house. We're trying to think about investing and what to do. And we kind of got this idea in our head, like, man, if we could flip like two houses a year and make, I don't know, like $30,000 on each house, we could make like $60,000 a year. That'd be amazing. Right. So at 19, that was big money to me and her. And, um, and so we kind of set on this journey of, uh, one getting out of debt, you know, becoming really, uh, as healthy as we could be financially. Um, and then over the next four years or so making, um, strategic progress towards quitting my job and getting into real estate full time. And that's what I did. So, uh, I think it was 24 when I wound up buying, um, my first flip outside of my primary residence that we did our live and flip in. And then, yeah, that was it. Once we flipped that house, we, you know, made, I made more or as much in that flip 
than I had my entire year working prior with tons and tons of overtime. And I was like, we got to quit. I got to quit my job because if I don't quit now, I'll have the golden handcuffs. Right. So that was it. We, we, you know, quit my job and never looked back. And that was in 2015, 20, beginning of 2016. I think I officially quit my job. I hung around for like another month or two after we sold it. So, um, you know, transitioning, you know, you got that first, first one done, um, when you were 24, which is, you know, that's still very, very young. So kind of fast forward, you know, that you said that was 2015, fast forward mm-hmm. five years, you know, you, you said you now do uh, new builds. Talk about mm-hmm. that. Uh, where, 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 what do you guys kind of target? You know, I'm guessing you guys just buy the land and pretty much, uh, I guess, you know, build out, but kind of talk on that if you don't mind me. Yeah. So uh, my father-in-law was a general contractor. My brother-in-law was a general contractor. My other brother-in-law was plumber of electricians. So our entire, entire family, including my, my dad, my dad's not a GC, but he, um, he's been a carpenter his whole life. So we're like deeply ingrained into construction, right? That was my background. So uh, the next kind of logical step for me was to get my GC license so that I didn't have to be dependent on GCs to do my projects because that, that was really where I was good and what my focus was. So I got my GC license, you know, shortly after starting, um, shortly after starting the flipping business. And, you know, from there, we'd always wanted to do new constructions, but the numbers really didn't make a whole lot of sense. In this area, there was a lot of, um, there's a lot of houses. A lot of the builders in this area are more production builders, spec builders, and they're, they are okay with much smaller margins because they have like a well-oiled machine. And for me, we didn't have that well-oiled machine. So we really needed a great opportunity to kind of cut our teeth on something where we knew we couldn't lose money. Um, so we finally kind of got that opportunity with a house that we were going to, we bought to flip and the house came with three lots right around it. And, um, I paid for the lots, you know, we, we gave them the value for the lots, you know, knowing that we were going to be building on them. So it wasn't like they were free lots. That would have been amazing. Right. But, uh, so we gave them some kind of a value. I can't remember exactly what, but, um, that was what, that was our first intro into actually running the entire process. And before that, we'd done additions, you know, we'd done teardowns all the way down to the, we you know, had to tear down half the house all the way down to the foundation and rebuild it. So we've basically done a lot of new construction, <laughs> even in the flipping. Um, so this was just kind of the the next step of like planning it out ahead of time and, you know, doing the blueprints and going through the town and a little bit more, a little bit more on the planning side, but that was kind of our first step. And that was um, not last year. Uh, the year before that was kind of when we got started with that. And uh, those first ones were incredible for us. I mean, we, we wound up selling it for selling our houses. There were three houses. We sold them for a lot higher than what we originally anticipated. Um, it went as smooth as it can go for your first new builds. We, were, you know, we knocked them out of the park. I think the team did a really good job with that. And then, um, you know, so we made a made a pretty good amount on those. Um, and then we bought the house across the street, and that came with more lots. And now we got more lots that we're buying. So, you know, now we're kind of uh, in this price point again. And again, you know, back up a little bit. Our, our model is not quite so much the production build model. We're really good at making good quality designs. Like we're a design build company. So um, that's kind of our strong suit. And so people are paying more per square foot for our properties than they would for like a normal spec. So because we're able to kind of focus in that area, you know, between like 450, 600,000, $700,000 price, you know, sale price points, that's where we really like to play because we're really good at it. So we're able to make we're able to make the money that we need to, even though we're not production builders yet. You know what I mean? Um, you know, there it's not necessarily like a cookie cutter kind of home. 
You know oh, how no. you see these communities that are very cookie cutter, you know, every single home is the same. I, I'm guessing you get to kind of go a little bit into the details with it. Is that what you're kind of talking about? Yeah. So we've got a designer on staff. So my wife and I used to design everything. We used to wear all the hats, right? Every single hat when we first started, that's the way it goes, right? You guys know all about that. Um, and then slowly but surely you can start taking those hats off. So for a long time, my wife and I did the design actually together. We were both really enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, but eventually we got to the point where we just had to get it. We just had to hire a designer on staff because there was just too many decisions to be made and um, for us to be able to focus on it really well. So yeah, everything is pretty much different. Now, there are some limitations with how different you can go in some of these areas because some of these houses are on such small lots that we have to, um, they're, they're, they're kind of um, restrained by how big we can build it. So some of them are a little bit smaller, but even still the design is completely different. So one might have a, you know, we call it California casual. It's got like this real open, light and airy breezy concept. And then the other one's, you know, mid-century modern with black and, you know, all these really cool finishes. So we try to really make them their own unique house. At first you guys were wearing all hats and now you have a team to do it. Uh, do you mind me asking like what the structure is between each business and how many employees you guys have and how that kind of looks? Yeah. So we have been, um, so early on I was kind of the boss, right? I did, I was just kind of in charge of everything, but I was also the sales guy and the marketing guy and the whatever, all the rest of it. Right? And so me and my wife kind of tag teamed everything. Well, we started getting really organized with, um, we run on uh, what's called EOS. And I know you guys know what that is, right? It's called the entrepreneur operating system. And it just helped us to kind of really identify our roles in the business. And so we still wear a lot of the hats, a lot of hats in the business, but it's helped us to really kind of get organized. So um, I have now moved into the visionary role where I should be uh, leading the company, thinking big picture up and out. And then my wife has taken the role of integrator and in the corporate world that might be called the COO, um, right? The person, the operations manager. So so she does that. So she's actually responsible for all the department heads. So right now we've got a director of sales and marketing, which is still me. I'm still wearing the hat. We got a director of construction, which is uh, a, the lady working in the office over there. And then um, we've got finance, director of finance and HR. And my wife is still in that technically at the leadership level. But below that, we have a project manager, designer. Um, we have uh, office admin, bookkeeper. And then um, let's see, all the construction people. Uh, we we do a lot of our construction in house, so we got all those crews, and that's kind of the primary. That's on our flipping business. Um, we're a pretty lean team. We're hiring. We need to be hiring right now, like a construction planner, <laughs> another project. We need to be hiring a new project manager, and um, but yeah, I want to say all together there's like uh, eleven or twelve on the team for for the flipping and. Um, building business. So yeah, that's not counting the syndication business or anything like that. That's a different partnership. So. And, and I kind of do want to get into that. Um, I, I know that you have started pretty much syndicating and you've kind of talked to us about what your role has been. Uh, do you mind me asking how you kind of transitioned to multifamily when you did that and what was the reason? Yeah. So um, we always, what, what our goal was, right? Financial freedom. That's what everybody's goal is. Right. And we've, we've, we've had this whole big conversation, these deep conversations about goals and why yeah. and all that stuff. Right. But, you know, in the beginning, it was just financial freedom. And the way to do that is through I need what's your number? Ten thousand a month in passive income. That's what, you know, the kind of standard is. And so we always knew we wanted to get into multifamily. Um, but 
we made we're making good money flipping i mean it's it's a good business to be in if you're good at it and you know what you're doing i mean um, we definitely have so much to learn but we've got a really great team that helps us to be profitable so um, we hadn't really thought too too much about um, focusing on the syndication side or the rental side for a while just because it didn't really make sense for where we were at because i quit my job I really needed the cash today more than the cash later. And I knew that I was giving up a lot by taking the cash today than the cash later. I knew I was giving up a lot, but that's what we needed to do to survive. So we finally got to a point where, you know, I've got some friends that have, they were absolutely crushing it in uh, the flipping and wholesaling space up in New Jersey. Uh, my buddy, Steven Libman up there and he's, they, they were doing like a hundred plus deals a, a year. And uh, he'd been telling me, Hey man, we're getting into, we're getting into multifamily. We're getting into multifamily. You got to join us. You got to join us. And this was over the course of like a couple of years. And uh, finally, he's like, hey, we're shutting our wholesaling and flipping down. We're just doing syndication. I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, it's he started telling me some of his numbers. And uh, he's like, well, are you ready to go or what? Like, you've got to get in on this. So I was like, all right, cool. Let's go. So I, I had talked with a, a buddy of mine here locally, um, Ashton and Chris Lavaric with uh, the Valkyrie Group and you know, I was blessed to be able to uh, be friends with Ashton before, like while they were just getting started, you know, I was kind of um, able to kind of talk with him and we were, we were able to kind of network as he was just barely getting started. And I'd kind of kept my eye on him. I was like, man, this guy's, this guy's making moves. He's doing stuff. He's, he's taking action. Right. So, and uh, so we kind of kept that conversation going and I was like, you got to meet my buddy, Steven. So we kind of all uh, started talking and that's it. Me and me and Ashton and Chris reforms, uh, our LLC and we partner with Steven and we, that's, that's kind of how we jumped in to it. So, you know, it's not my full-time gig, both Ashton and Chris have full-time jobs still. So we're doing this on the side, right? So we're all doing this as a side business. Uh, but with the goal of, um, making, you know, transitioning to it full-time. So I'm trying right now pretty actively to get out of my flipping, uh, uh, trying to build my business systematically so I can, start pulling myself out more and more, you know? Yeah, that, that's awesome. And I, I don't know, I mean, I'm not anyone off, but um, just to kind of turn that, if for somebody, because a lot of our audience are probably people that haven't started um, mm -hmm. at all in real estate. And if they have, they're probably in the single family space. So what would your advice be to someone who is attracted by that quick cash that the single family space provides, um, but also wants that passive income that you can get in multifamily? Mm, what kind of advice? So I can tell you this, the advice like, you know, the, the biggest advice I tell the new people, regardless of what they're getting into, is to just do something. You have to take action, right? That's the biggest thing you can do, period, right? I've talked with so many people uh, at the RIA group that have been coming for two, three, four years, and they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited about doing something, but they just haven't done something yet, and they're not doing anything. I'm like, man, if you're going to spend four years like talking about it, you should probably just quit it and just go do something else, right? So the big catalyst for me was I was listening to a bigger pockets podcast one time. And the guy said, action equals results, massive action equals massive results, do something. And I'm like, man, okay, not, don't like go create an LLC. That's not, that's not productive doing something right. Go actually take those steps. So that's the first thing I could tell like anybody, like if they're not, if they haven't done their first deal yet, right. Quit. If you've listened to 50 podcasts, you've know enough to get started, start doing stuff. Um, and then, you know, outside of that, I mean, 
you really got to figure out what your goals are. You got to really figure out where, where, you know, what you have at your disposal. So for me and my wife, we always kind of like, you know, looked at everything we had at our disposal, like a, a hand of cards, right? Here's what we got. Here's what we don't have. Here's what we do have, right? I got a great, you know, my dad's in construction. He's, he's ready to work for me full time. I've got my father-in-law, my brother-in-law, my other brother-in-laws all are all in construction. Um, we need quick cash because I'm going to quit my job that I'm going to tear my eyeballs out if I stay out for like one more day. Right. So for me, it was just the obvious choice that I needed to make quick cash during construction because it was just kind of the easiest route for me to jump in that I had the most advantages at. Um, could I have done multifamily right out the gate? Sure. I'm sure I could have, I would have looked a lot different and I had to figure out different things, but um, maybe I'd have to stay at my job a little bit longer, you know, who knows exactly. But um, that was just my, that was just the path that I took. If you have a job that you're okay with and you're making money and you're, you can think longer term or again, just look at what you have. If you got a great job, not a lot of time, don't, don't start wholesaling. Cause you're, you know, it takes a lot of time to do wholesaling, right? It's that kind of a thing. So I don't know if that's exactly what you're looking for or if you want clarification on that, but that you touched on it, but um, could you expand on the role that your why played in uh, helping you get that clarity as to what your goals were and, and how you wanted to go about getting them? Because um, I know we spoke about it once, and um, that's kind of what helped us decide that multifamily was right for us. But to the followers that um, might not really be aware of what their why is and what why they should even bother figuring that out, could you maybe explain how, as to how that provided insight into your journey and um, where you wanted to take it? Yeah, man. So absolutely. So. <clears throat> When we first started, um, I was working a ton. Um, at, so, okay, back it up even a little bit further. Going like way, way back to like my teenage years, right? Uh, I had my parents split up when I was like 13 or something like that, 12, 12 years old, 13, right? So um, a lot of people can relate. It's not something that, you know, I'm not special because of that. Um, that was really, really tough for me though. Right. So your whole world is kind of like rattled and shaken and ripped apart at that time. Right. So not to go like super, super deep, but that was, that was really impactful for me. And as I got through my teenage years and as, you know, cause my wife and I started dating when we were 14 in high school, I was 14, she was 15. And so, um, our, my, my thing was, I was like, I want to make sure that my family's taken care of. Um, I don't ever want that to happen to my, my family or my kids. Like, I don't ever want my kids to have to go through that. Cause, um, that just, it just, it shook me. Right. So what did we do? Like, I know, you know, they say more than half of all marriages end in divorce because of financial issues. Right. So that's it. That's what people say. Right. So my thing was at 19, I'm like, okay, cool. Well, if I can, you know, make sure that I don't have any debt and I can make a lot of money, then I can hopefully eliminate a big cause of all these problems. And, um, and so that's what we did. We paid off all of our debt early on and we got and got, um, you know, we kind of got on that path to financial freedom. Um, but that was it. That was kind of my, that was all my, that was kind of as deep as I went, um, really was, I just knew I wanted to have financial freedom for my family and not have them go through what we went through or what I went through. Um, and then I lost sight of my why when I started making money. Because I started making money in flipping houses. We started making enough money. I'd made more money than I'd ever made at my W-2 jobs before. You know, two two years before I quit my job in real estate, I think my taxes were like, I made like $17,000 on my taxes or something. It was it was hardly anything, right, to, to live on. 
Um, so we knew how to, we knew how to pinch pennies. We knew how to live on a budget. And so, you know, we went from that to 70,000 to, you know, making 70,000 on our first flip to, you know, making six figures a year. Um, we, we were okay financially and I was still working my butt off. And then we wound up having, you know, I don't remember where the kids played into this, but we had our first kid. At some point we had our second kid. My niece came to live with us. So we went from like one to three kids really quickly. And I was working all the time. And, uh, and my wife, man, she's like amazing. And she's the best support ever. She was like super gentle. And she just, Hey, she's like, Hey, um, you know, what's your why? I'm like, well, my why is for you guys. She's like, yeah, but why are you working like so many hours and all this stuff? And it's like, well, I want to make sure I'm, you guys are provided for and secure and all this stuff. And she's like, I don't think that's really your why, because, you know, we make enough money, like we're okay. So why are you still working this hard? You know, don't lose, like you're abandoning your goal in pursuit of your goal, right? Your goal is to have this, you know, financially secure family. But in the meantime, every, all the whole family's on the back burner because you're working a hundred hours a week. You're, you know, working early, working late, not seeing the kids, not working on, you know, working on the weekends, all this stuff. So, um, Anyways, it was like a, like a gut punch, right? Like, and so that kind of made me really think like, why am I doing this? And uh, it was great because I was able to refocus on my why and said, look, it really is because of my family. Like that's a huge, huge why for me. Um, but there's more whys that I kind of discovered at the same time, right? I love my family. I want to I want to make sure they're financially secure. But if I made $30,000 a month in passive income, um, which I'm not, but you know, one day when I will, like I'm not going to be just kicking it back all the time. Like we're going to be kicking it back a lot more, but I'm still going to be working. Right. Because now I've kind of realized through this, you know, this process of like, like self-reflection and we've done a lot of conversations between me and her, like we want to have an impact on people. Right. I don't just want to look at my own family and say, um, I want my kids to be secure and my kids to be safe from, you know, a, a bad divorce situation or this and that. Like I want to impact other people because, man, there are so many people that aren't taught in high school how to manage money. People that are going to college, just going and taking a ton of debt and, you know, coming out of school with a hundred thousand dollars of debt. And then finally saying like, man, I'm, I'm going to try this real estate stuff. So or, or whatever, like my my goal, my why right now is to have an impact. So that's that's really the core purpose of our business is impacting lives through creative real estate investing. And regardless of whether that's flipping, whether that's employees or our buyers or our sellers or anybody, like we want to have an impact on people's lives. And, um, and so that kind of shapes a lot of our decisions now with why we're growing and why we're scaling. And um, cause man, my employees are like family to me. I really want to take care of them. And um, I don't know, like that's, that's a huge part of my why now. So our, my family's like, they're, we're doing well, you know, we're making money. We're making enough money to survive now. Now it's kind of going out. My why is like reaching out to other people and having an impact and being able to do things with, you know, I want to be able to donate a million dollars a year to, you know, Operation Underground Railroad and to, you know, you know, unwed mothers that are having, you know, single moms that are like struggling. Like that's that's what I want to be doing. You know what I mean? So that's my why now, in addition to my family. Right. So. So kind of going back to you know, what your advice. So you were making a lot of money and uh, you kind of lost track of your why. And then you saw your friend, like you said, your advice was to take action. And uh, I mean, everyone, when you get into real estate, you know, the end goal is typically always passive income, whether that's, you know, single family passive income or multifamily passive income. But 
you saw your friend, like you said, from New Jersey started taking action. And then you met, you know, Ashton and and the guys. And so it kind of led you in the path to go down the road of chasing the passive income. Mm -hmm. So when you met up with them, um, what what did you guys start doing? Or how did you guys kind of start that transition? Because of course, it's kind of like jumping ship. I mean, going from single family, although it's new builds and, and that is its own business, but mm-hmm. transitioning into multifamily is, is, a, is a pretty big leap. Um, so if you don't mind touching on that. Yeah. So we, um, we had a small multifamily just in our own portfolio before like a six unit apartment complex that we had bought um, in, in, my, in my company alone. And then uh, during this transition, you know, we were, we were kind of talking and we said, well, we, either we can like, you know, what, I don't know what you call it, lily pad jump or rock hop, or I don't know what you call it. You know, we could slowly yeah. work our way up from like a six unit to a 12 unit to an 18 unit. You know, we could do that if we wanted to. Um, but we'd have to learn how to do the property management. We'd have to learn how to do the asset management. We'd have to learn how to like raise capital. Like there's all of these other aspects that we were going to have to do. And so for us, what I was pretty good at was raising capital. Like I, that's, that's kind of my primary, like, I don't know, I'm a people person and I talk too much. Right. Like, so anyways, that, that's kind of what we're good at. So we realized, okay, can we build a team based on what our certain strengths are? And um, so it seems like a really big jump, but when you have a good team, it allows you to go far. It allows you to do way more than you could possibly do on your own. Right. If, you know, if Jeffrey just wanted to flip a house, he might be able to flip a house or two or wholesale a house or two, but having a team, having the brothers, having, you know, everybody kind of involved, well, now we can, we're not just flipping a house or wholesaling a house. We're, we're building a business, right? And the same kind of a thing with like the multifamily, it's, you don't have to worry about learning every single thing. Um, You need to know about everything, but you get all the right people in those right seats and you can make those kinds of jumps because you're partnering with, you know, super solid people. So for us, it really wasn't that big of a deal. It was like, okay, cool. I'm raising money. I've been raising money. I can go do my due diligence. I can go like, you know, help, help on these parts of the project. And um, yeah, so really it was with the right team. It was, it was a pretty easy transition. And on that, uh, your main role was to raise money. Is that, I assume that's your whole group's role was all three of you guys were pretty much focusing on that. Uh, do you mind me asking how you kind of started doing that in the first place? Like what was the first lead source that you came across and, and what recommendations you can give to someone that's new to that uh, raising capital because it's a little bit scary and can be scary for someone that's never done it. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, all the caveats, right? Not a lawyer, not a accountant, right? Like I'm not giving legal advice and SEC, like make sure you're checking everything with the SEC, right? Obviously. Um, so for me with my, my partner, my LLC with Ashton and Chris, um, we partner deal by deal with other people right and we do um we kind of focus on well one we focus on you know capital raising that's a big part of it but we also do due diligence and you know stuff with investor relations so we're not just you know we're not just raising capital um although that's a big part of it because i have access to you know i have access to some of these people right um so that that being said we a lot of what i have been doing and a lot of it what i'm um, my success has been just through networking. I mean, it's it, like just going to RIA groups, just going to um, 
meetups, like as many meetups as I can, as many meet people as I can start meeting and having these conversations. And then the other thing is just um, putting it out there to friends and family and also your social media pages, you know, whether that's LinkedIn or whatever, um, just putting it out there, what you're doing. And again, with with what we do in the regulations around 506B versus 506C, right? Like you can't advertise a specific deal um, unless you're in a 506C and then you have to say it's for accredited investors, right? Um, but what we do is we just kind of put ourselves out there and, and mostly it's been through, you know, relationships. I Everybody that I talk to, like in the real estate community, so I'll take real estate agents out to lunch and I'll talk with them about, you know, and these are these are people that I might be acquaintances with or like, you know, friends with. Maybe I just met him a couple of times and we're kind of just building that relationship. We'll go out to lunch and um, we'll start talking about their goals in real estate and where they want to be. And then I start talking to them about what we're doing and how we can help with tax advantage, you know, with tax advantages through multifamilies. And then I'm always asking, like, hey, who do you know that I need to meet? Like, who should I be talking to in your circles that can that can help us? Right. And um, and so that's kind of a big a big thing. We we've been able to meet more people and. My, my buddy's like, yeah, I can't do anything right now, but you got to meet this guy. You got to meet this guy. Right. And I call that guy and he's like, yeah, no, I'm interested. Let's, you know, let's start. And we talk and boom, he's ready to drop $150,000. And you're like, cool. So that's, that's really how it works, man. This is a people, people business. So now that's, that's kind of my main focus and I'm getting more strategic on the like funnels and all that stuff. Uh, my partners, Ashton and Chris, man, they are, they are absolutely crushing it with like building out the funnels building out the email templates, like they're really, really getting the back end built so that we can really take it to the next level and, and make our reach really, really big and just kind of start funneling people into us, not just us pushing out to try to get other people, you know, really just start collecting those people. So and probably, I don't know, three months or six months from now, we'll be able to like have another conversation and I'll be able to kind of like really go into all the stuff that's being built in the back end and say, okay, before it was primarily networking, but now it's, you know, funnels and all the rest of this stuff, you know, but we're working on it. So. so to kind of touch into that, of course, you transitioned to multifamily, you mm -hmm. have figured out, you know, that's what you want to do. So kind of touch base on what the first deal looked like, you know, like how many units, uh, what you potentially raised to kind of close on that deal. And, uh, you know, what, what might've been some of the struggles that you kind of found yourself to be in uh, when, when trying to raise that money and, and kind of going through it for the first time. Yeah. So it was definitely scary. We, um, we, our first deal was a 220 unit apartment complex in Columbus, Ohio. Wow. And we, we did never close on the deal though. So we raised all, we raised all the money for the deal. We went through everything and, um, and then it, it wound up falling apart because of the, some stuff in the seller's operating agreement and his partners. And anyways, major backstory. Right. But that was basically up until we were pretty much ready to close. We thought that's that was that was it. And that, and that was my first deal that I was a part of with my partners. Right. They had been involved in other deals. They'd already had a high door count. This is kind of my first step into this space. And so for us. Man, I'm trying to even remember what my uh, what our raise was, and I'm gonna botch it all up. I'm not good with like remembering all the numbers and all that stuff, but I want to say it was like a one and a half million dollar raise for our portion, is what we were raising, um, and uh, so that was it was challenging. It was challenging for us because 
you know, I had a lot of people that were really confident in me and my ability to flip houses and build houses, but they're like, yeah, but how many, how many multifamily deals have you done? I'm like, well, I've only done like a six unit, but my partners. And so that was like a little bit challenging getting people to like, kind of commit to, to that and commit to our team because, you know, I didn't have that a ton of experience with it yet. So it was a pretty big challenge, um, but we got through it and we raised the money and then we wound up having all these issues with the, uh, the seller's other limited partner who, you know, anyways, it was just, it was just kind of a mess on their side. And uh, so we pulled out of that deal and thankfully we were able to go right over into 110 units down in Dallas, Texas that we were able to buy. And it was a similar amount of raise. So we didn't really have to do much more. We just called up our investors and said, Hey, here's what happened. You know, this, this deal that we were looking at, I know we were supposed to close three months ago. Oh, this was all during COVID too. Right. So the banks were constantly changing their term sheets and it was like, actually we need this. Actually we need that. We need to wait until we see this, you know? So through all of that stuff, we're having to talk with our investors about like, Hey, I know we were supposed to close, you know, in the week coming up, but we're not going to because the term sheet changed. Now they need this. And it's, it was like that for a couple of months. And then finally, the deal fell apart. And so that was like really tough to go back to all those investors and say, hey, this whole thing fell apart, but we have somewhere else for your money if you want to. And then go through the whole process again for this new deal in Dallas, Texas. Now, luckily, um, I think most most people, most if not all, um, transferred everything over and we were able to just you know, kind of finish up that capital raise in Dallas, Texas. And um, that was, uh, like I said, it was 110 units. I think I'm going to botch all these numbers up and it's like, I think we bought it for seven or 8 million, maybe 8 million. I can't, <laughs> I can't remember. We raised like uh, one and a half million or something. And um, anyways, so we're looking at like a five year hold on it and a reposition in year five. So that's doing really well. And then the next one that we did very shortly after that was a pretty capital intensive 84 unit up in Columbus, Ohio, and it has a, it had a lot more uh, units. So it was a bigger value add deal that we were doing. So, I mean, we just kind of jumped right into it and, you know, I would say that those challenges that that was, that was pretty challenging going back and talking with those invent investors, like with your, you know, kind of your tail between your legs, you've been piping up this deal for like a long time and then it falls apart, like basically at the closing table, you know, that was, that was tough. <laughs> that that makes a lot of sense. So um, you told them you, you were transitioning, you know, although you were new, you found somebody that had already done deals before and you were confident in yourself. You brought you brought the, them the deal. You know, they were they, they were confident in you. And although, you know, you didn't close, it, it wasn't necessarily your fault. I feel like, you know, it seems like you pretty much did. You guys did everything right. It was just kind of a miscommunication on the seller's end. So you pretty much got the deal done. So it was more of like a dry run. Um, yeah, and then, exactly. you know, thankfully, <laughs> yeah, thankfully you guys had uh, another uh, uh, property that you guys were able to, uh, you know, potentially close on and you, got, you just rolled over the money there. Mm -hmm. um, so just to kind of, you know, fast forward now, I know that that was all during COVID and everything was crazy with the banks and, you know, just everyone, the whole world just kind of freaking out. Um, yep. but at the moment, you know, with everything calming down, um, of course, I'm guessing you guys are still doing some syndications. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So right now we took a break for like the late, later part of the fall and the winter, because we were like, Oof, that was like, it was, we were trying to close on 
you know, basically those two deals, the one fell apart and then we got the other deal. So it was a lot going on in the end of last year. And so we were like, let's just take a break, take a breather, enjoy the holidays. And we'll, we'll start back up in January. And, uh, and so that's kind of what we did. Now we're, um, we kind of shot out the gate with, we've got a 384 unit in uh, Daytona beach, Florida that we're doing a $12 million raise for, um, B class property. So kind of what we're looking for, uh, we want value add, you know, we can do that. We're fine with a five-year hold. We like stuff that kind of cash flows. Um, we kind of got like the two, the two different types, right? You got either something you're buying for the cash flow as is, and there's not really a ton of value add, but there's, you know, it's a, it's a slow five-year value add process, you know, as the units turn, right? Um, so we're, we're those, that's like one part of our portfolio, probably like 60% is kind of what we're shooting for, like a balance of like a 60-40. So 60% we want in those kinds of assets, like, you know, B minus, C plus, like cash flowing assets. And then the other 40%, we're looking to do more, um, a little bit shorter, heavier lifts, right? So where maybe 20% of the units are not occupied and they may have had a flood and we're looking to redo, you know, very capital intensive, right? So we're trying to balance that out. Right now, we've got this uh, 384 unit. We're doing like a $12 million raise. And um, it's, uh, let me see. Yeah, so altogether, we're raising $12 million. It's a, It's like a $42 million purchase. Um, what we're looking to bring is all of our investors for, you know, all the capital improvements for closing costs for all that stuff, right? It's about $12 million. So that one's going to be a pretty big lift. I mean, I say a big lift, the, um, the raise, it's gonna be a pretty big raise for us, you know, so there's kind of a lot there. So that one we're doing is a 506. Um, see, we're doing it with accredited investors. Um, so this way we could do our marketing, put out marketing pieces and, uh, put a bigger reach out there to people. I think that's really cool, and that's you know obviously something we want to aspire to be um, to be at that point as well in the future. But um, kind of just to like rewind a little bit um, when you were talking about experience and credibility, um, what would you say to somebody who is starting out in, in syndication mm-hmm. and is afraid of approaching brokers and um, apartment owners because they fear like they fear that they don't have the credibility and the experience to you know be qualified to do that? Um, well. I would, man, I just partner. I would find somebody who does. I would really, that's, that's probably the biggest thing. Like I didn't, I didn't have the credibility to go out and buy, you know, these jump into these big ones. Right. But I knew people who did now in the beginning, whenever I was doing the flipping, that was, that was a, it was an uphill battle because I, you know, I'm trying to, you know, convince these homeowners that I can actually take care of it for them. I'm 24 years old, you know, they're, they're like looking at you like you're really young, you know, right. I'm sure you guys have seen that. How are you guys going to, how are you going to buy my house with cash? Right. Um, but what I did, you know, I didn't have anybody in particular that was here locally um, that I could lean on. So I just leaned on, I leaned heavily onto the podcasts, right. The bigger pockets podcast, the seven figure flipping podcast, like those ones. So I was leaning on Bill Allen or, you know, Brandon Turner and their experiences and just kind of, my confidence was in their experience. (laughs) So that's, that's where it was for a long time. Um, and then the more times you kind of prove to yourself that you can do it, or you have these conversations, you kind of build up that confidence. Even if you haven't done it yourself, you're like, no, no, I'm confident that these people have done it. I know this is how to do it. And I can, I can get the answers from somebody if I, if I need to, or whatever. Um, the more times you can do that, the more confident you'll get and they'll be able to see it. And, um, it, so with, with the multifamily, it was difficult, uh, 
because you're you are kind of like starting in a new space what i did have was the you know my credibility at that point with my flipping but i didn't have the credibility with the multifamilies yet so i leaned heavy on my partners my partners already had i don't know 800 units a thousand i can't remember what they had then now we're now they're like you know 1400 15 something like that so at that time it was like look my partners have you know 700 units under management and our other partners who were just doing asset management they've managed like 27,000 units like over their career so like i don't have it but i'm just a small piece of this puzzle right i've my partners are the ones with tons and tons of experience let me introduce you to them and so that's what i started doing i said hey do you want to hop on a call with with my with my buddy who's who's doing this with me and that was my go-to it's like hey i'm leaning on this person and and my my partners are super gracious and they they were they were like yeah like that's why i'm here right that's what i'm that's what i'm here for and um and so now that they've you know i've, I've been able to listen in on those conversations and how he handles things and now i've kind of got a lot more of that confidence and now people are doing that with me right hey let me introduce you to somebody and now I can kind of have that conversation because I've got that experience and I was able to just springboard based on my partner's experience. So, you know, that's, that was, that was pretty much how I got my confidence was through, through my mentors, through my partners. Yeah. So you, you pretty much cut your learning curve because of the fact that you were in, in partnership with somebody who was doing deals basically, right? Significantly. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, my highly I mean, recommended we mentor. <laughs> two, well, yeah, we own like 206 units right now, you know, I, that I own, right? I'm a I'm a part owner in some of them, and then some of those I own by myself, and a year ago I had um 7, right? So, we were able to do that because of our partners, and this and now we're within like quarter 1 of this year, we should be have another 384 under our belt and Again, I'm just a small piece of this pie, right? Like I'm not, it's not all mine, but that's the beauty of a team is like you can, you can cut that learning curve significantly because you don't have to master everything, right? Like if we were going to do it the slow way, which there's nothing wrong with doing it slow because that, that might fit your criteria um, and your personal investing style and your, your personal needs, your family needs, that could, that could be exactly what's right for you doing it a four unit, a six unit, 12 unit, 16, like that might be the perfect strategy for growth for you. But for me, I'm still running a full-time business and I'm working a bunch in. So I just need to do what I'm really good at as like, just focus on that area as little as like, as, as efficiently as I can and leverage that team. So for us, yeah, just shave that learning curve because I still don't know all about asset management. I mean, I've been with the asset, like I've been on that side of the company and talked with them and had the conversations and doing all that stuff. But that's, you know, I'm not an expert in it and I don't need to be because that's not my job. <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely, definitely if you can find somebody that is where you want to be, figure out a way to add value to them and then partner with them. Right. I knew I was good at raising money and construction. So, all right. How can I, how can I, how can we do this together? What can I provide you? You know? So we definitely, you know, can we kind of take that advice and then run with it. But um, the next thing that we kind of want to do is an express round. Uh, so we're just going to pretty much run through a couple of questions pretty quickly. And I uh, just wanted to warn you. <laughs> cool. All right. Awesome. So, um, and you can tailor this towards real estate if you'd like, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, so my first question is, do you have a daily routine? Daily routine. So I should say, yes, my 
most of the time right now I'm working, I'm in like, I go through daily routines and seasons, right? Um, right now I'm in a season where I've been working a ton in the business as well as on the business. So I've been working till like two o'clock in the morning every night. So I'm not getting up and doing my miracle morning. Like I want to, <laughs> I basically wake up at the last possible minute before the kids have to get ready to go to school. So that is, uh, that is my morning routine. Other than that, um, you know, I'll take them to school between me and my wife, you know, we'll kind of tag team it. Who, who's going to take them to school today and, um, do that, get back probably around eight o'clock between eight and eight thirty. check into the office. Um, start talking with my director of construction and we start kind of knocking some stuff out. That's, that's, that's the, oh, by, I'd say by like five o'clock, I'm usually trying to clock out pretty much at this point and, uh, and really take that time with the family. So usually by five o'clock, I'm with the family doing dinner, doing stuff until they get to bed by like eight, eight thirty, And then I'm in the most recent weeks, I'm back in the office till one or two in the morning every night. So favorite book? Like just in general, completely, or you? Like yeah, if you want to tailor it towards real estate, or if you want to do one real estate and then one personal life book. Yeah. So okay. So I'm a Christian. So uh, my favorite book, I guess, the book that I live by, right, is the Bible. Um, and uh, you know, I don't read it nearly as much as I should. I should read it a lot more. But um, but yeah, that's that's always kind of my go-to, man. Going going through the Proverbs or going through, you know. Anyways, that's that's probably my. Um, biggest one. And then uh, let's see, for, for real estate, and I always recommend, hmm, man, there's a couple. That's a, that's a good one. So uh, on the real estate, in the real estate side, you got to, you kind of got to go with rich dad, poor dad. That's kind of what triggered it for a lot of people. Right. But I really like um, the, some, some that were really good just in general about personal finance was like the richest man in Babylon. That was just a really cool to read. I don't know. I read it at like 20 years old or 19 or something like that. And that was just really impactful. So, um, I don't know. I really, I really thought that was a pretty cool one. I'm sure there's like a ton more that I'm just not even thinking. I'm going through a ton of them. I've got like eight that are, I'm like halfway through reading extreme ownership's really good. Uh, yeah, sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll stop. There's, there's no, awesome. I'll definitely have to keep extreme ownership in mind. Um, do you have a role model or do you have a, a one role model or a couple role models that you kind of look up to? Um, yeah. So, you know, I guess different for different reasons. Um, you know, look up to my dad. He was always extremely hardworking. Um, always, uh, uh, he was always very, um, he always just did the right thing. I was very honest, you know, wasn't going to lie. Just, um, I don't know. It was just a, it was just a really good role model as far as like stuff like that goes. Um, then, uh, let's see most recently, I would say a lot of the friends that I'm surrounding myself with are my role models, right? So my friend, Bill Allen, uh, from the seven figure flipping group, he runs that group now. He's, he's a role model. Um, yeah, I'd say those, those are, those are two pretty big role models in my life right now. You know? Some people that are your role models, um, and you, you identify them as your friend because uh, we're big believers in you are the sum of the people you surround yourself with. So the 100%. fact that you're surrounded by people that pull you up, that's that's awesome. And I think that people should, uh, if that's one thing they take away from this, is, is that. But anyway. Oh, 100%. And let me just say on that on that too, right? And I love my family. I love my friends. And like, not saying anything bad, but if they're not where you want to be in your, right? Like if they're not where you want to be in your career, then you need to find 
people who are where you want to be in your career. So for us, that was, that was huge. So in the beginning, it was all podcasts. That was all that, that's the only people that I could surround myself with was podcast, 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 and, um, listening, getting that confidence from those other people, getting that mindset, getting those, um, getting that, uh, that verb, you know, that, uh, that conversation going that, that talk track, you know? Um, so that was what I did in the beginning. And then books, man, just surround yourself with books. Like those authors, they can be this, they can be your five people, right? Go read, you know, whatever, like go start reading all these books. Like those can be your people until you meet the people. Right. And, uh, and so now I'm lucky. I'm really blessed to be in some groups like that are doing 200 plus deals a year that are doing, you know, a thousand plus, you know, units in the apartment complex investing and like all these big things that I'm able to surround myself with. So, but in the beginning, if you don't have that people, if you're like, man, everybody at my work is like, comes down on me for my real estate investing and my family thinks I'm an idiot and like all this stuff, like, man, surround yourself with the podcast, surround yourself with the books, like use that to kind of elevate yourself. All the platforms that we're on, I'll let people know a mentor doesn't have to be someone that you know personally or that you, you pay. It can be whoever you surround yourself with by reading books or listening to podcasts, like you said. So that's definitely powerful. Um, the next question I wanted to bring up was, do you have a favorite quote or a favorite piece of advice that you kind of live by? Um, yeah, I've always, I've always liked whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. That's just kind of like the first one that pops in my mind. You know, my kids are not allowed to say I can't in my house. It's not allowed. So they say I can't. I say, what, what did you say? They say, how, how can I, how can I do this? I said, that's all you got to do is figure out how to do it. You know, there's nothing you can't do. So anyways, that's, that's probably uh, a good. Awesome. And is there like a way that people can reach out to you? Um, Are you on a social media platform that, that you like for people to reach out to you there or. Yeah. So you can reach out to me, um, Facebook, just Joseph, uh, Joseph Thomas Druther, the fourth. So there's a lot of us. My dad's Joe. My grandpa's Joe. My son is V. We call him V. He's the fifth. So, uh, you know, play on the Roman numeral there. And uh, so, yeah, Joseph Thomas Druth of the fourth on Facebook. Um, I'm pretty terrible at um, responding to messages. I'm not like super, super great at it, but I'm trying. So if you if you reach out, like send me a message there, uh, you can check out my the business page, Druth or Homebuyers and um, reach out to somebody. Somebody will grab it and we'll I'll. I'll I'll get in touch with you guys. So, really appreciate it. And we look forward to staying in touch. Absolutely, man. You guys rock. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening to the Real Life Monopoly podcast with the Donis Brothers. If you want to learn more about what we do, make sure to visit our website, www.donisinvestmentgroup.com. And if you aren't already, make sure to follow us on all platforms at Donis Ventures. Let's be great today. Have a good one.